Hey guys, Alexa Curtis here, and you're listening to a new episode of The New Unfiltered. So last week I had on Abby Glass, and I've talked a lot about this $150,000 investment for 7% of both my co-founder and my company. This is the mentorship platform that we have decided to partner on and build together, and we decided not to take that particular investment. And so in the episode with Abby, I go into reasons why you should and shouldn't go through some of these accelerator and incubator programs if you are starting a company or are looking to get funding and definitely would suggest looking into that episode as well as some of the other ones that I've done that have to do with funding because quite often I think a lot of aspiring or current entrepreneurs don't realize how much more practical it is to bootstrap what they are doing. But we have a new summit coming up in the fall. I haven't exactly released the name of it yet, but if you follow the Instagram for the Be Fearless Summit, you will be able to see so far kind of what we're doing. This summit is going to be a little bit different, have a lot to do with uh, more career-based things and resume looking and resume coaching. And so it'll be kind of a new spin for the Be Fearless Summit. But if you've been following the brand and have come to any of the other summits, I have been so lucky to connect and be inspired by so many of the incredible speakers who have spoken at summits. One in particular I've got on today, Lindsay Metzelar, and she is the founder of We Met at Acme. And if you guys don't know what that is, it is pretty much, I would say, the top dating podcast out there. I would say aside from Caller Daddy, I don't really think of Caller Daddy as a dating podcast. And so I really have always resonated with everything that that Lindsay's post and talked about. And she was part of a panel with my good friend, Bobby Hober, and then Brianna LaPaglia from Barstool Sports for a panel at Vanderbilt last May. And since then she's gotten married. She's got this phenomenal food account called Don't Expect Salads, which I love. And she's just such a badass. So Lindsay, it's so exciting to have you here again. Alexa, thank you so much for having me. And I feel like I learned a little bit of you know, business tools from that intro there. So love that. Thank you. Well, I have so many questions for you. And I would say one in particular that I kind of want to kick off is I want to get into the podcast and how you made it so successful. And then really your strong point I find is, you know, dating and confidence. I see a lot of what you post on your Instagram story and polls and questions that people ask you. Uh, But take me back to the to the beginning, when you started this podcast, when you were in college, what made you want to talk about this? Yes. So I actually started the podcast when I was 27, which like, I think maybe when I was in college, I don't even know if there were really podcasts out, which I'm really dating myself here. But, um, when I was 27, I found myself dumped on my birthday and I was like, wow, this is wild. I was the person out of my friend group that everybody went to for dating advice. So I was like, clearly I have a thing or two that I need to learn myself. So I brought a guy friend over, we were shooting the shit and all of a sudden we started recording it and released it as a dating podcast. And at the time there really were no dating podcasts. It was just crime and news. And so it was, it was so much fun to like kind of be one of the pioneers in that space. And then when you started the podcast, what was your initial thought process behind the name? You were living, I'm assuming, in New York at the time. Yeah. So I was living in New York and I was going to 
all the different places to meet guys all the time. I was going to Acme. I was going to all the bars. I was going to whatever club was hot at that moment. But Acme was the place where I would definitely say I had the most success meeting a ton of different guys, none of which who ended up being my husband, but a bunch who had good stories from it. And so I loved the name. I thought that it sounded so fun, so New York. And it kind of had the like, this is clearly a dating podcast without being called like dating podcast type of thing. How many episodes and how long into it did you get before you were like, oh, wow, I can actually make this a company? I think so. You know, when like you start something and you have like a feeling about it, I had that feeling before like my first episode, even. And that, but I definitely didn't know it was something that I'd be able to like quit my day job for until I would say probably like two years in, maybe a year, a year and a half. I like that. And that's really relatable to a lot of entrepreneurs who have become so successful. And I would like to know what, when you say that feeling, because I've certainly had and have that feeling and it's kind of, I don't know how to explain it to someone who works a traditional nine to five job or whatnot, but it's when you feel like you're almost on the brink of something. Was there one moment that you were like, wow, or a lot of people responded to this episode or brands were reaching out to you. How did you, how do you categorize that? Like gut feeling that you're onto something? You know, it's really hard. I think it's just, it's just intuitive. Like you just, if you're someone that has tried a lot of things, it's, it's intuitive when you feel that like something is going to like be different than the rest. And I think it's also like, because you have that intuitive feeling, you work harder to get there, which is such like a big part of it. So it's like the mix of intuition and hard work. So back when you were living in New York and when you were going to all these different bars and Acme and whatnot, and I know you still live in New York now, but prior to getting married, what was the energy in the scene? Because a lot of people want to move to New York and they want to fall in love, but it's notorious that, and I've lived in both New York and LA are just so fucking hard to meet someone. So how, and what, what did you look for when you would go out? When I went out, so I was always like a very outgoing person and I wasn't afraid to start random conversations with people. Like for example, one of the guys that I met at Acme, I remember I had lost my friend. We had arrived together. I lost her somehow. It's not even that big of a place, but I lost her. And I went up to a random guy who was the tallest guy there. And I was like, Hey, you're the tallest guy here. Put me on your shoulders so I can find my friend. Like that was just like always my energy other like other people I understand obviously can be like that's a lot that's a lot like I I have friends who are much more reserved but because that was like something I wasn't afraid to do and start conversations I would just do that like I would just go up to people talk to people as if they were like someone I knew forever even last night at the bar like I'm married now but last night I was at the bar of a restaurant waiting for my friend and I just like turned to the person next to me. First, I started by saying like, can you wash my bag? I'm going to the bathroom. And then when I got back and like, it wasn't someone I was interested in, obviously not only because I'm married, but also it was a gay couple, but I was like, can you watch my bag? And went to the bathroom, came back. And then it, they had ordered basically what I had ordered. So, but I didn't know that. So I was like, oh, I just want you to know, like, I didn't copy your order. Like I had ordered that before I knew that you got it, you know? So it's just like, having fun, playful conversation with people 
whether you're in New York or wherever you are is the best way to really meet. Would you say that growing up, you had an inner sense of confidence because I'm the same way. And I'll say that to tons of different guys. And like, I just don't care. Even if I don't like, I would talk to anyone on the street. Uh, but I would certainly say there was an element of when I was growing up that I always felt just naturally more comfortable, not really caring what someone's response was. So how did you, how do you place that? Yeah, I think that's a part of it. And I, if I remember correctly, you're a Libra like myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I think that's definitely a Libra thing. Just like knowing that we have like a way with words a little bit and just like, you know, we are that like friendly kind of person. Um, but I think if I didn't have that innately, I would really just like try to force myself out of my comfort zone and like to have those conversations or bring that friend of mine with me who isn't afraid to, so that I don't have to do it. Do you find that when you were even dating or what you've seen with your girlfriends who are still single, the ones that are that confident are people telling them like, be more submissive. Don't take the lead so much. Like let the guy, and this is strictly just talking about male and female relationships. Like that's what I think both of us are probably most familiar with. Uh, Is that kind of a common thing? Cause I hear that a lot. I'm told it, I probably said it. And I'm always just like, I want to be who I want to be. And if you like Mm. me, you don't, you don't. Is there a fine line between that? I think that there's a dance for sure. And the dance is like, I like, as a woman dating men, like I can be outgoing. I can initiate that first conversation perhaps, but then I need to take a step back and kind of let the guy pursue me. So it's just, it's that dance of like, I'm interested, but I'm going to let you come to me. I'll go to you. You come to me. Not so much being like, like you don't have to quiet yourself by any means, but I think it's just, you don't want to be like pursuing them. Sure. You show your interest and then, you know, you can back up a little. Love it. Okay. So backing up to the podcast thing, because this is certainly a topic that so many people are fascinated by and they see new podcasts coming out left and right. So we met Acme, you were doing independently and now you're signed with Dear Media. Exactly. And was that decision something that you thought necessary, like was necessary for the growth of the brand? Was it something in terms of partnerships? How do you know or decide when to go and work with a network or get a brand partnership? It's so funny when I started, because it was so early, there weren't any, like there really weren't a lot of podcast networks like Dear Media. And I had been with a company that was like a sports podcast company before Dear Media and all of their ads were like male centered. And so like most of my listeners were female and no one really interacted with that. And so it definitely wasn't a good fit. And then Paige, who works at Dear Media, reached out to me and she said, hey, you know, we're starting this company. Dear Media wasn't a thing at the time. She said, we're starting this company for female podcasters. If you'd like to be one of the first podcasts on it. And it was really like, I took a chance and they took a chance and it ended up being a perfect collaboration. And I think it was so necessary because, you know, when you're one person, it's harder to negotiate for yourself and to speak on your behalf. But if you are part of, it's kind of like, you know, a union in a way, then they're able to say, Hey, these are the rates across the board you have to, you know, pay this person X amount as opposed to me being like, Hey, can you pay me and having to chase them down myself? So I think it's just, it's better. And also like you have all these other great podcasts on the network. So they'll like 
advertise your podcast on their podcast and, and so on and so forth. So that's how it ended up working. And I would recommend to everyone to, to work with a podcast network if they have the opportunity to. Is there a certain number of downloads or whatnot that someone would need to have to go to that? I know a lot of people who listen to me in particular are so familiar with me talking about cold pitching and reaching out, uh, but there's certainly less podcast networks out there than TV stations or producers. Mm. It's still in a sense, a newer industry. So from, from what you've seen, is there something that in particular that they look for? Yeah, I think now it's higher than it was back then. Back then it was like, you only needed like a thousand listeners to start. Now I think you need at least like 5,000, four or 5,000 regular listeners, like for every episode. Um, it's, it's definitely more competitive to get to work with a company because it's on them if the ads don't do well, you know, cause they're the ones they're taking a cut too. Was that something that intimidated you when you signed with them or even the sports network? Because it's so different to have this team behind you. I remember I felt an, a new sense of intimidation and almost imposter syndrome when I was at radio Disney. Cause I was always thinking, I never even got to see the numbers for my show there, but there was like a sense of, I fell out of my control, but all I could do was show up and do my job. Right. No, that's so real. So real. I was so nervous. Again, like people weren't really listening to podcasts back then. And so our numbers were like staying in the same place for a while. And I was just like, is anyone going to care about this podcast? And it definitely took some time to get some traction. But once we did and like started to be more consistent, then I was like, oh, thank God. But it's still scary. Like to this day, if our numbers go down, like I'm like, oh no, like they're going to dump me from the thing. You know, it's like, it's scary. Something I think that's so cool about podcasting that is different than people who are just social media influencers or content creators on Instagram is that the people who listen to podcasts literally are obsessed with you. Like if someone listens to you talk for an hour, they love you. They want to hear you. And I think the interesting thing is that social media has become so saturated that it's the quick content and it's really easy to unfollow someone. Mm. Podcasting, you really have to like listen and care. Otherwise, why would you, why would you pay attention? So if you could have one piece of advice for someone who wants to start a company or a podcast, how do they find their niche? I think it comes from what you are really passionate about and having an opinion that differs from the rest. Mm -hmm. So part of what makes my podcast like maybe interesting to people, I think is because I'm so set in my ways with like my rules for dating and my sobriety and my, you know, the beliefs that I have. And it's like a brand I've created by having these strong opinions. Mm -hmm. And I think, for example, like just, I don't know, using Joe Rogan as an example, he's so successful because of the same thing. He has, he is set in his ways. He has his beliefs. Everyone knows these are Joe Rogan's beliefs. If you are just another person who's podcasting about like wellness and like, this is what you should do. It's much harder to be successful because you're not standing out. Um, so just having like a controversial belief or feeling or opinion that you're bringing to the table, that's different than what's out there 
is like number one importance. Mm, I like that. Before I even had seen, or or what, before I had even, when you spoke last year, I don't even think I was on TikTok or whatnot. So now I follow you on TikTok and I really like a lot of the stuff that you post. And I like that what you talk about, the sobriety element of it. And so that's, I've had founders on who have started companies in that space. And there's certainly been many times through my dating life where I'm like, man, I definitely wouldn't have done that or said that if I was sober. So that journey, did that start when you met your husband now? So I've been sober now for, it'll be four years in October, which is so crazy. I was sober before I met my now husband or before we got together, because we kind of knew each other back in the day. And it, for me, it was more of like a lifestyle necessity for me to be sober. I was someone who, because I'm a creative, loved weed and loved smoking weed all the time and didn't see a problem with it. And it got to the point where it was just like completely taking over. And I, it was like the weed was calling the shots and I, it started affect the way I was podcasting, the way my everyday life, my eating, my sleeping. And I knew I had to make a change. And so instead of just quitting weed, I decided to become completely sober and I'm so happy I did. And I've met so many interesting people through sobriety and, um, it's, it's been a journey, but I'm so happy about it. Perhaps someone who's listening to this may have similar feelings and not understand the difference between doing it casually and it taking over their life or affecting mm-hmm. their job. How do you, how did you decide like, this is now affecting what I do in a negative way? Because everyone, like I remember even when Demi Lovato went to rehab and then she's California sober and she's still smoking right. weed. Apparently now mm-hmm. she's like fully sober. I never really understood that because that really is in a sense, it's still altering you. It's not full sobriety. Right. Well, full sobriety is, is um, like abstinence from all mind or mood altering chemicals. And I think it's like not even arguable that weed is a mind altering substance. Um, and so, or like substances, not chemicals, but um, I I think that if you like when you're not doing the thing, whether it's smoking, drinking, Coke, pills, whatever it is, when you're not doing it, if you are agitated because you want to be doing it, if you are thinking about the next time you can do it, choosing your friendships based on who can do it with you, planning your life around, um, you know, your days around going to the bar so that you could have that drink or, you know, waiting every moment to have that puff after work, whatever it is. Um, then it's something to definitely look into. And it's also like why, why you use and are you drinking or are you smoking because you want to escape or are you doing it because you're like having a good time with friends and are you doing it on your own by yourself or are you doing it in social settings? And so just making sure that you're like tuned into that and like the frequency of it as well. Like I know people who need that drink every night or need that whatever every night before bed. And it's like, if you need that, if when you're traveling, you're worried about how to get that, you know, these are all red flags to look out for. And it's a very interesting time to 
to acknowledge that. And I just appreciate your honesty about it. And I mean, I've been in, I spend most of my time now in Texas where in Austin, not like regular Austin is not like the other backward parts of Texas, but people drink so much. Everything revolves around a drink. And I found LA to be very much like clubs, cocaine, drinking, New York, very heavy with drinking, definitely more dabbling in different drugs. And Austin seems to go more into psychedelics. And I wonder like how much does that affect the dating culture when people meet out and they're never, or for the most part, not really in their proper mindset. Like if a girl was at a bar and she meets a guy and he's, I don't know, I fucked up in whatever way, Molly acid shrooms, alcohol smells like cigarettes. Should you then walk away? Like, should you engage in the conversation? If that's something that you dabble in, but perhaps you're not someone who would go to a bar on Molly or shrooms or drunk, I think that if you, if you feel like they're still present, then you're still maybe able to connect with them. But if you're somebody who it's really important to be on the same level of like how you like to party with your potential significant other. So I think just like tune into that. Like if you wouldn't casually do Molly and go to a bar, then like, you're probably not going to vibe with someone who would. So it's just like being on the same page about that, but also like not judging because, uh, you know, it could just be like a bachelor party they're on or whatever it is. You never know. So I think just like going back to just if, if it's so frequent that you need to have something on you at all times, like that's really not good. Is your husband sober? He's not, but he is just not a big drinker. He's never, you know, he doesn't take any other substances. He'll drink like when we're out to dinner with friends and they're drinking. Um, but he definitely doesn't like drink to get drunk. He doesn't black out. So I'm grateful for that. And we don't really have, like, we don't, he doesn't drink inside of our apartment ever, which is nice. It's very important to to what you just said now is like, if you were at a bar and you met someone, would you do what they're doing and not right. to judge, but also to think that's a re- like, I think that's a really important thing. Uh, Cause like, how are you going to have this person's kids? How are you going to like date them in the future? You know what I mean? Totally. Uh, yeah. So, and I know I'm assuming you've talked about this on your podcast as well, but how long were you single before you met your now partner? How did you meet him? We met actually when we were 25 and he had got, he went to high school with one of my best friends from college. So we kind of knew who each other were. And then we ran into each other in Miami at a new year's party. I was dating someone else, but when I broke up with that person, I remembered Steven, my husband, and I reached out to him. So I probably had only been single for like three weeks at that time. Um, we ended up going out like a month later and we hit it off, but like, didn't immediately date right away. We, I was newly single. So I like wanted to see what else was out there, but I kind of in the back of my head knew that like this guy was it. And we eventually started to be more serious. And so, and yeah, the rest is history, but I definitely was not single for a long time in between. And you know, part of me is like, that is kind of just like who I am as a person. Like I love being in a partnership. It's like when I thrive the most and there were things in my last relationship where like I had mourned the relationship in a way before it was over. So I felt like it was all right. And like, 
divine timing and whatnot. Um, but I do, and there were other, so many other times in my life where I like experienced being single, experienced living alone. And I think all of that was so necessary to like be ready to find that partner. Now that it's, you know, five plus years later, do you think it is harder now to date than it was when you met? Well, I know you got, you guys met, um, when you were younger, but harder to date now than compared to when you Oh, totally. I think, you know, the older you get, the harder it is to date because people get more stuck in their ways and they get pickier. And that isn't to say that somebody, you know, 31, my age is not going to meet someone great. It's just that you have to be more open. Whereas when you're 25, you're running into people all the time on the streets, on, you know, at the bars and this and that. And as you get older, people are less inclined to like go to those places. And so you have to really get out of your comfort zone to meet them. In business and in personal life, how do you handle rejection? Dating or anything that happens in a, with a company or even prior when you had a traditional job? Rejection has always been really hard for me. I mean, it's definitely hard for everybody. But I remember I got dumped for the first time and fired for the first time in the same week oh, when I was 23. Wow. It was brutal. And it actually sent me into like a depression. And I had to go like to go to therapy for it and really get help. And so since then, I've been much better at handling rejection and really thinking it at, thinking of it as like redirection. But when it, the first rejection on both fronts, the job and the relationship, I mean, that crushed me. And so it's okay if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I can't like even imagine like being rejected or my first rejection I'm still recovering from. That's normal. But then you got to pick yourself up and like, you got to figure out how to deal with it from then on. And I think realize that there's so many opportunities meant for us, like abundance mindset all the way. If we're rejected for whatever reason, it wasn't meant for us. There's going to be something better coming our way. Besides uh, fitness, which I know you're into and therapy, what are the tactics to get through those moments, especially in a breakup? Cause that's a pretty terrible time, but there's elements of that that feel very similar to rejection and a job or even with a friendship. It's such a formula that, I mean, it's not like, I get these questions all the time and people are like, how do I get over a breakup? It's always the same thing. Surround yourself with people who make you feel good who really bring that like good energy into your life and make you feel happy and laugh, get back on the horse, like get back on the dating apps. Once you're ready, maybe even a little bit before you're ready, because there's no harm in, you know, trying to see what else is out there. Like you only live once you can't just sit and sulk forever feel the feelings when they do come up, like let yourself cry, let yourself get it out. Don't try to hold back. Don't try to numb with like substances. You know, we spoke about substances already and just like be a yes person. Like that's really all you can do is, is in the breakup world. Like maybe go on a trip, do something that makes you feel like you're caring for yourself. But all of those things are really the combination. Okay. So tell me about the evolution now of the brand and where it's going. I know that you're hosting more in-person events, one in particular in August, you started this podcast and now it's become your life and you're married and that's amazing. How do you, how do you keep building? I mean, you're in theory already at the top of this podcasting game. 
I think you just really have to tune into what your listeners want to hear. And maybe it's like my listeners are growing and maybe they're older and maybe they're getting married and maybe they're having kids and maybe we should be talking about those things. Um, but I am such a like receptive person when it comes to my DMs. Like I'm always in there trying to figure out what people need, what people want. So with this mixer that we're doing, we're doing a camp uh, weekend in August and it's something that people have like brought to my attention. Like they're like, oh, we want to do like a weekend long mixer. We want to do a camp. We want to do this. And so we're going to do that. We're going to see if it's really fun. If it's something that we want to do every year, maybe scale it a little bit bigger. And there's other things that I'm thinking about talking about. And then there's like the shows, the live shows, the mixers still, I want to, would love to figure out a way to bring the mixers to different cities without actually being somebody who lives in those cities and, and yeah, all exciting things. Do you ever see yourself even telling people how to be confident or even because before you even hopefully enter a relationship, you've already become the best person that you are. I think a lot of people kind of jump that because they want a partner. And I think based on what you said about confidence and how open and honest you are with going and talking to someone that you perhaps could be a really good voice in in that space too, at some point. Yeah, I definitely, I feel like part of why I do the podcast is like, I want people to take that from it. I want people to take the, like, you know, being that confident woman from the rules and like the guidelines and the things that I put in place and that I believe are to make you feel more confident when dating. And so I'm, I'm working on it. I mean, it's so hard to like tell somebody how to be the way that you are and the way that like you've always been, but I'm always trying to give tips. I do dating consultations with people one-on-one. And in that I definitely share a lot of like, you know, helpful kind of how to be more confident when dating tips. So I hope to continue doing that. Well, and it's very cool because you didn't go to college to learn how to talk about dating. So a lot of this is coming from your own personal experiences and whatnot. But I would assume that people probably go to you and think of you as a dating coach. Is that like, I don't necessarily just think of you as a coach, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that people can, it's dating is such a subjective subject to teach because everyone has a different style and every it's like what works for you. But I like to think of myself as someone who can coach people to date better. I love it. So these upcoming events, and especially the one in August, where can everyone find that? Is there a cost? There is a cost. Um, This one, I believe it's 600 for the weekend, which includes food, um, your bed, all the activities. It's all inclusive. Um, The ride out there. And it's going to be so much fun. You can find out about that on my Instagram at we met at Acme, as well as the shows we have coming up. One is in the one that's on sale right now is Austin in November. Okay. That's where I am. I love that. Okay. My last question for you, now that you're in New York and you're not single anymore, any new spots for anyone who lives in New York that they should be hitting up to find the person that they're going to fall in love with? Ooh, are we talking summer spots or year round? Let's go year round. I would say, I mean, Acme is always a good idea. And um, oh, I'm so I'm so old now. I don't really know the blonde. Um, I think the guys behind Make Believe just opened a place in Brooklyn. I'll tell you what it's called right now, actually. 
It is called Creatures of All Kind. So check it out. What part and of Brooklyn? I think in Williamsburg. Interesting. Okay, cool. That's a good spot. I feel like people in Williamsburg are a bit less pretentious than like Manhattan. I agree. I agree. What's your husband do? What's Stephen do? He works in healthcare. Oh, I love that. You're the first girl who's successful who I know who hasn't said it that it's like hedge fund or finance or real estate. Oh, that's so funny. I right love now. that. I love that. I love Stephen. Wait, did I freeze? Yeah. Now I can hear you though. That's so weird. Cause I'm like not frozen to me, but I see that I'm frozen to you. <laughs> you're frozen to me. It's okay though. Um, okay. Lindsay. So your personal Instagram as well. Is there a website? Where does the podcast? Yes. Any can- of that? You can follow my personal Instagram at lindsmetz, L-I-N-D-Z-M-E-T-Z. The website is wemetatacme.com. So check it out. Well, thank you so much, so much for being here today. This was so much good advice. And I hope anyone who listened to you at the summit, this is kind of a follow-up from that. I know everything dating-wise and coaching Lindsay talks about on all of her platforms and on the podcast. So I didn't want to give her too many dating questions more so, you know, about building a brand and making it really authentic to, uh, to whatever it is that you're looking to do. And for her, it was obviously dating and that came from her experiences. So that is just inspiring. So Lindsay, so good to have you back today. Hopefully we'll see you at another summit and I'm really excited about this, this August mixer. Um, so thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next week for a new episode of The New Unfiltered.